This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, January 11th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. The price of Bitcoin sees some large swings in the first day of trading for the Bitcoin Exchange Traded Fund. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, the report on consumer prices headlines today's data. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Andrew Bush, former chief Markets Intelligence Officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and Economic Futurist at AndrewBush.com, based in Chicago. Andy, thanks for joining us today. The uh, Consumer Price Index for the month of December came in above analysts' expectations. Not exactly hotter, but certainly warm. Yeah, I mean, it was basically in housing. That came in a little bit stronger at 0.5%, and that's you know driving a lot of what's going on with the CPI the thing that I want to point out with this is that CPI from here going down, it, it will continue to occur because I think housing will ease off quite a bit, but it's going to be pretty sticky from here down to 2%. And I will just say this about the markets predicting the Fed. They have no idea what the Fed is going to do because the Fed doesn't know. So if you go back to the beginning of 23, they were expecting all sorts of rate cuts from the Fed. They didn't get any. They got rate hikes, right? And so that's why I would say anybody who's expecting a rate hike in March based off of Fed Funds futures contract, be really careful about that. I, I don't think from this number today we're going to see a cut in March. Before we like go under the hood of the uh, CPI report, I do want to uh, kind of carry off of your comment there. Um, to go back in the Wayback Machine to a year ago when there was some optimism on the idea that uh, the economy would tumble into a recession uh, in the second half of 23 and the Fed would begin cutting then. So there, there have been a couple of uh, fake rallies uh, based on the idea that the Fed was going to cut at a certain time and there were some futures priced in and and it didn't come to pass. Right, exactly. And that's what you have to understand. Anybody's looking at the markets to tell you what the future is going to be, it's helpful, but they're wrong a lot. They just build in expectations. That's what you're looking at when you look at the Fed Fund's futures contract. And again, I'll just point out, I mean, if you look at the comments from uh, Fed's Williams, um, New York Fed President John Williams, or Fed Governor Michelle Bowman, or Dallas Fed President Lori Logan, they all kind of push back on this narrative that the markets are trying to develop, that the Fed's going to aggressively cut or cut three times in 2024. I I just don't see it when the economy is growing at two and a half percent and inflation is still at three percent. Now, on the, on the plus side, which if, if you're looking for good news, uh, uh, core CPI is in the three percent range for the first time since 21, uh, now at three point nine percent and embedded inside uh, 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 non-core CPI or uh, non-core CPI, the, the volatile stuff, the food. Um, I love looking at just some of the, the different categories and where they're going. And that is uh, eggs, egg, egg prices. Uh, down nearly 25% for the year, but they surged uh, nearly 9% for the month of December. So can we uh, blame all the Christmas cookie bakers for that? (laughs) No, I don't think there's... Eggs are just really volatile right now. And remember, you know, bird flu remains a deal. So you, you still have got where you're going to 
see companies cull herds at different times and freak people out about the price of eggs, and rightfully so. I mean, if you're looking at low-income, middle-income earners, hey, food's really important, and so is energy. So when you strip those away, I think it's great to look at core. But just remember, those people get really hurt by volatile energy prices and food prices because they spend more than other Americans on that. And so that's what I just want to caution people when they say, oh, inflation's easing. Yeah, but the price level is still way above where it was prior to 2020. Yeah, there's there's some psychology in there, and that's going to take a long time uh, for that to roll off of people's memories. Thank you for joining us today. Andrew Bush, former Chief Markets Intelligence Officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and economic futurist at andrewbush.com in Chicago. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Financial advisors and investors are keeping a close eye on the first day of the Bitcoin ETF trading. We're joined by J.J. Kinahan, CEO CEO of IG North America, president of Tasty Trade in Chicago. JJ, thank you for joining us today. And and this is real. This is official. It's now underway. Uh, Twenty four hours after the bogus tweet said the, from the SEC uh, said that uh, it was giving its blessing to uh, beat uh, Bitcoin BTF uh, ETF trading. Uh, it's it's now real. It's now taking place. And how is this going to change the Bitcoin marketplace? Hey, Rob, thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, I think it's going to change it pretty significantly. You know, what this really does, in my opinion, is it's it's the test for Bitcoin. Is is this, you know, we've had so many doubters over the years. And so now does this become a real product or does this become something where like people are like, oh, I told you so. But looking at early results, I'm looking at the symbol IBIT, which is one that's out from BlackRock, one of the ETFs. They've already done 30.8 million shares here, and it's just afternoon in Chicago. So that's really good volume for a first day on something like this. So I think there's been a lot of excitement. Uh, I would expect this actually to be a these ETFs to be successful because so many people were like, you know, interesting, but I don't necessarily want to hold something that's not listed on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. And what these ETFs are doing is giving that stamp of, okay, I know there's going to be a bid. I know there's going to be an offer. The markets are going to be tight all day. And, you know, we see that as I've been watching these throughout the day, the bid and offer are two to three cents wide, very tight markets on a scale with what you would see normally in like an Apple or something like that in terms of the bid and offer. So again, I think it's a really exciting time for people. And I think the ultimate test will be in six months to a year. Are we talking about people really starting to hold this as part of their retirement portfolios or overall portfolios. And uh, for the uninitiated, ETF stands for Exchange Traded Fund. It allows you to have some exposure to the sector or a particular commodity or asset class without uh, owning it uh, outright. And this does lower the barrier to entry into the Bitcoin marketplace. You don't have to set up a wallet or worry about uh, hackers uh, taking your tokens. Uh, You can just uh, invest in the sector and... It will be interesting to see how this changes the market now that it's much easier to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's no different than, you know, as I just used Apple as an example, if, you know, one of us wanted to go out and buy Apple today, we could just get it through, you know, any, any brokerage firm. 
you know, we had t- tasty trade of we listed these this morning. And so anybody who, you know, wants to trade them, make them part of their portfolio can do so right now with the same uh, ease with which they wanted to buy or sell Apple. You know, the only thing I would say to people is please just don't go out in the excitement of the moment and start trading them, you know, do a little bit of homework, understand what the risk is, just as you would do hopefully in any investment going forward, so that you actually understand what you are buying or selling. Because unfortunately, too often I've seen in the past where people get excited and they don't actually understand what it is they're doing. But let's face it, as you mentioned, having a wallet, some of the barriers to entry that way in terms of just pure understanding of the product, I think this has been the best development that could possibly happen for the crypto space. And, you know, of course, Bitcoin being the highest priced and the the most popular. How does asset class ownership or commodities ownership, you know, via an ETF, uh, how does that differ from equities? Well, if, if, if I buy, and again, I'll just keep using Apple since it's the example I've been using. If I buy Apple, that comes with voting rights. That comes with, you know, all that's intrinsic and in owning part of a company. If I buy an ETF, I'm usually buying a collection of, in this case, you know, Bitcoin coins. Uh, the most popular ETF being the Spider, the S&P 500, which is a collection of the different companies within one trading product. And so I don't have the individual ownership, the individual benefits slash individual risks of just one product. This is a conglomerate of different products put into one uh, trackable, I'll call it a trackable type stock because it works exactly like a stock in terms of going up and going down from that point of view, but you don't get the same, all of the same rights you would get from owning an individual equity. JJ Kinahan, CEO of IG North America, president of Tasty Trade in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today, giving us uh, the basics on the Bitcoin ETF exchange traded fund. Coming up next, a popular California based breakfast place makes its move into Chicago. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A hugely popular Los Angeles breakfast spot is making its mark in Chicago. Let's discuss Egg Tuck and the challenges of bringing an outside chain to the city with Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach based in Chicago. Izzy, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Egg Tuck is going to move into the former uh, Nof Nof Grill location on uh, Michigan, just south of Wacker Drive. So uh, you, you can't, it's right in the center of everything, uh, this new establishment. It's a, a Korean-style breakfast sandwich spot. So what does that mean for you as the consumer? Well, it uh, it sounds unique, and Egg, t- uh, Egg Tuck's uh, magic is they are unique. They got some really great looking food. They combine, you know, Mexican and Korean and California all into this breakfast uh, operation. They've been hugely successful in California, and now uh, they're not just dipping their toe into Chicago; they're all in in Chicago. Fifteen years ago, uh, breakfast was described as uh, one of the one of the, if not the, uh, growth areas in the restaurant industry. Is that still the case? Uh, it is still the case, especially now, and especially with you know Egg Tuck's concept. What's going to make them unique and successful is you know they're doing a lot of handheld, high quality, very tasty uh, sandwiches. 
uh, look great. You can get in and out of there, you know, relatively quickly with a very high quality product. And, um, you know, people are looking for unique and with less and less uh, people just sitting in the office uh, or going to a restaurant to sit down, you know, they want to grab something. And, and Egg Tuck has some very uh, interesting and tasty looking sandwiches. I think they're going to find Chicago a nice place to be. And I mentioned that uh, the flagship location is 326 North Michigan, but uh, there are two other locations in Chicago, one in Lincoln Park, uh, 2411 North Clark, and then one uh, near the UIC campus, uh, 1220 West Taylor, uh, just west of downtown Chicago. So this is a substantial investment by an outside restaurant chain to crack the Chicago market. And I think we can all name the the, the outside chains that tried to break into Chicago and fail, but there are some notable success stories too uh absolutely you know we've had uh you know a number of uh you know the i think stands uh if we look back at you know when they came into the market have done well but you know to talk about egg tuck what's what's going to make them unique in chicago look at the markets they're in you know they're on michigan avenue they're in hyde park they're in uh lincoln park they're going for a very very specific demographic uh younger people who want you know great and hip uh, tasty food. Uh, this really falls into their market. They're not, you know, they have a few seats, but it's mostly, you know, great grab and go. Also, you know, Rob, you bring up restaurants that have come to Chicago. Though, you know, a lot of restaurants came in and they built one restaurant at a time, let it go for a year or two to test the market. And Egg Tuck isn't doing that. They're saying, you know what, Chicago is our kind of town. We're going to open up a bunch of restaurants very quickly. Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today to talk about the Tell Us the Secrets of Egg Tuck, the uh, Los Angeles-based breakfast chain that's uh, making a big bet on Chicago. Still ahead in Technology Thursday, the biggest takeaways from this year's Consumer Electronics Show. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A winter storm could bring us as much as a foot of snow. We'll check in with AccuWeather. Year-end numbers are out for inflation in the U.S. It's Technology Thursday, a review of some of the amazing items at this year's Consumer Electronics Show. Artificial intelligence poised to play a much larger role in education. WBBM Business. The markets are lower. The Dow is down 95 points. The NASDAQ is down 50. The S&P 500 is down 18. 30 degrees right now in Chicago under cloudy skies, topping out at 35 today. Wind chills in the 20s, but the main event is tomorrow morning. We're in for a rough ride this weekend. Let's get the ugly details from AccuWeather meteorologist Brian Thompson. Yeah, Rob, we're going to see some snow arrive late tonight, and then we'll see that snow continue into tomorrow. Now, like what we saw earlier in the week, especially closer to the lakefront, we may see that snow mixed with rain at times into tomorrow, but then we're going to see this become primarily snow later tomorrow into tomorrow night, and that's when we're expecting some of the worst conditions, some potentially blizzard conditions with the snow and blowing snows. We're going to see some pretty strong winds with the storm as well. Uh, the snow should wind down pretty early on Saturday, but strong winds will linger into the day on Saturday, and uh, not just the wind, but we have some very cold air coming in behind the storm for Sunday and Monday. High temperatures only in the single digits. Brian Thompson is Radio 
1059 WBBM. Inflation edged up in December, according to the Consumer Price Index released today. Mark Hamrick is a senior economic analyst at Bankrate. The rising costs of necessities are among the contributors to this pickup in the monthly gain of the CPI, namely food, energy, and shelter the latter accounting for more than half the monthly increase. The rise in energy paced by electricity and gasoline increases despite a drop in natural gas. That uptick in the CPI is weighing on the markets today. Markets are lower. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Paul Nolte, Senior Wealth Advisor and Market Strategist at Murphy & Sylvest in Chicago. Paul, thank you for joining us today. And I don't know if people actually do this, but if you got your Fed cuts the uh, interest rate by 25 basis points in March 2024 tattoo, you're probably regretting it today. <laughs> it will be a painful removal. And then <laughs> I think is what the markets are experiencing at this point is a little bit of a pain removal. But what's surprising to me is with the numbers that came out and the higher inflation rate, you would have expected higher interest rates. The bond market actually is pretty well behaved and the stock market not too bad at this point. I think investors are waiting for the PPI number and then certainly the Fed's favorite number, uh, PCE, later on this month. But again, a lot of investors still anticipating a significant amount of rate cuts throughout 2024. Now, I mean, the the story that uh, these numbers are telling us about inflation is that, you know, the soft landing is still there, but maybe this is uh, just a couple of bumps on the way to the airport. You know, there's two parts of the soft landing. One is lower economic growth that doesn't put us into a recession. And I think a lot of the numbers that we've gotten indicate the economy is still doing okay. The second part of that soft landing is inflation coming down to that 2% target. And that is going to be a harder get, as, as you indicated earlier, as far as where the inflation is coming from. Commodity prices generally have been pretty well behaved most of this last year. We've seen a little bit of a tick up. Food prices, a little tick up. The question is, can higher interest rates or will higher interest rates have an impact on food prices? And that I'm not sure is necessarily the case. It will on parts of the economy that are very interest rate sensitive. And I'm not sure really food and certainly energy are two of those areas that that, uh inflation is is going to be a, a solved by higher interest rates. The other big story of the day is uh, the SEC finally, for real, uh, giving its blessing to uh, the Bitcoin exchange-traded funds. We kind of went in-depth on the subject in an earlier segment, but I want to get your take your temperature on this, because now the barriers to entry are lower, and uh, the more casual investor can uh, get into this sector via the ETF. Uh, how is that going to change the marketplace? You know, it, it, it creates a liquidity. It creates the opportunity to buy and sell at a regular basis. And that's one of the things that Bitcoin has really kind of suffered from, if you will. There's been a lot of interest. There's only been a one way to get it is through uh, a wallet. This allows a lot more uh, easy access. And we've seen it certainly in the trading volume today. It was just huge. And I think we're going to see that over the next month or two. And in things, I think, will settle down to a more normal trading environment, if you will, where we don't have this huge influx of, of cash coming into it. And I think then you will start to see a real value to Bitcoin, whatever that price may be. But I think that's going to have an impact on, on what happens to the ETFs. 
Does this have the potential to take the volatility out of the Bitcoin market? And then on the other side of the coin, uh, does this mean that more sectors can be exposed to it and therefore more exposed to the risks that come with cryptocurrency? I think we've already seen some of that come down. We've had some ETFs which tangentially move based on uh, on Bitcoin, and the volatility of Bitcoin over the last couple of years has come down fairly dramatically from where it was even a decade ago. Yes, this should also improve that uh, volatility. Whether it gets into portfolios, different story. I mean, certainly some advisors are embracing Bitcoin, and this is a good way to do it. Others are still fairly skeptical. So it's going to be interesting to see how this develops over the next three to five years, where many advisors are looking at that track record before they're willing to make that investment. Paul Nolte, Senior Wealth Advisor and Market Strategist at Murphy & Sylvest in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Technology Thursday. This year's Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas has featured some amazing products, gadgets, and tech advances. Let's look at some of the most notable with Paul Hockman, President of Humongous Media, former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Paul, thank you for joining us today. And uh, all three Throughout the week, as we've been tracking CES, we've learned, we've read about flying cars. We've been hearing about empathetic Mercedes Benzes. Uh, we have been talking about uh, robots that will uh, mow your lawn. But in your mind, what are some of the gadgets, the items on display at CES that'll be real game changers once they hit the store? Start with. Uh, well, I like the idea of an empathetic car. Um, I have yet to actually meet one, but <laughs> I saw Mercedes's display, and it is pretty cool. That Will I am there uh, talking about it a little bit. It was it was very interesting. But as far as game changers, I actually think it's it's some of the most basic challenges that we all as human beings face, um, and and where they're solved. Those to me are game changers. So example. Um, Talking about energy, the cost of energy, everybody's interested in inflation, the cost of uh, the fluctuations of fuel and so forth. So anything that solves that problem is pretty interesting to me. Energy for the for the home is making huge advances, and I saw a couple staggering things to me anyway. One, um, a device that stood in the middle of the floor is from Genesis Systems. Uh, it basically takes – it's moisture farming technology. It takes water from thin air. There is water no matter, almost no matter the, the lack of humidity in the air. Any uh, air can probably be squeezed like you're wringing a, a washcloth of its water. It's really hard to do. Well, Genesis Systems has come up with something called the water cube, and the air in Las Vegas and especially in the convention center is incredibly dry. Well, guess what? It squeezes water out of that air um, for, for a, home to, uh, a home product 100 gallons a day, and it tastes great. A heck of a lot better than the hotel water I tasted um, earlier today. Just really. I mean, it's really nice. So, so that's an example of what's going on. So basically, uh, in, in, in the year 2024 or 2025, you can be Luke Skywalker, uh, not uh, fighting the Empire or becoming a Jedi Knight or using the Force, but you can be a moisture farmer in the desert. That's, by the way, hadn't thought of that connection, but I'm glad you did because that's exactly right. And by the way, it looks a lot like that. There is a box. It's about 800 pounds currently. It's going to get smaller. Uh, it's going to get down to about 600 pounds and probably in a couple of years about half that. Um, but it is a box. It sits in the middle of the nothing. could be in your garage, and it could squeeze, in this case, 100 gallons of, of water a day. Now, the average uh, – that's about, by the way, what the average family of four uses, about 100 gallons a day, about 3,000 gallons a month. 
Um, so this is not de minimis, and it is a Star Wars-like device. Another thing that I thought was sort of amazing, in addition to moisture farming out of the air, was energy for the home in the form of glass that looks transparent but has uh, solar elements, silicon, inside it. You can't see it. Uh, or stained glass, which you can, of course, see. And it farms the energy from the sun instead of putting solar panels on your garage or on your roof, which is intrusive and expensive and so forth. This is solar panels inside the glass you look through. So you put glass, obviously, in many homes have glass to look out. And in this case, uh, Corning is one of the companies. Uh, there's a Japanese company called NQS. All of them doing the same thing. Solar generation from inside what seems to be transparent glass. And, and, and these things, uh, you know, the, the, the sustainability tech that uh, is on display at CES, whether it's moisture farming or more ways of harnessing energy from the sun, is this kind of predicated on some uh, on the major public investment in the uh, the in- Inflation Reduction Act last year that these companies are hoping that uh, uh, tax credits will be available to them or to the customer uh, that will make them attractive? Look, there is, first of all, yes, you're, what you're coming up against is, you, you've, you've laid it out nicely, there is the practical need for the, for the money, obviously, and um, anybody who's making technology chases that money. Now that there is money available in the Inflation Reduction Act that addresses this very kind of technology, yep, there are people willing to take that leap. As with anything at CES, there's a lot of fantasy there. You walk by stuff and you're like, that will never happen. Um, and that's probably 70% of the 2.9 million square feet of CES. But you're right. With things like the Inflation Reduction Act, and certainly there are other economic uh, forces at play too, but people are beginning to chase this in terms of not just saving the planet, getting water where there's not enough, getting electricity where it's too expensive and so forth, but actually to do it in, in a way that makes money. So that's absolutely correct. Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media, former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thanks for joining us today. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. As artificial intelligence extends its influence in daily life, there's no doubt it will have a greater presence in education. We're joined by Jonathan Brill, artificial intelligence expert, writer, speaker, global futurist at JonathanBrill.com. Jonathan, thank you for joining us today. And there's a lot of discussion about the potential and the possibility of uh, AI being used as a teaching tool, but what are some of the more intriguing applications that you know of? The Khan Academy, they've got an AI tool called Conmigo, which is a tutor. They can help your kids learn more. And then very quickly, Jonathan, how about on the tutoring front? Let's say you're having a hard time with math or with reading. Are there some uh, AI-based applications uh, that can help you kind of bridge whatever gap of understanding you may have? A- absolutely. And and that, that company, I was that group I was talking about, it's a not-for-profit called Khan Academy. They have a cool tool called Conmigo, K-H-A-N-M-I-G-O. And it is an incredible tool for solving all of that stuff from from whether you're trying to teach your kid addition all the way up to AP math, advanced calculus, so on and so forth. They've got amazing tools to help you learn that. Jonathan Brill, artificial intelligence expert, writer, speaker, global futurist. Find him at JonathanBrill.com. Thank you for joining us today.